section sixty four of Ontario Public School Geography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Chilvers, Norwich, England. Ontario Public School Geography by the Educational Book Company of Toronto. Section 64. The British Empire. Size, Extent and People. The British Empire includes all those parts of the world whose inhabitants owe allegiance to the British sovereign. It comprises more than a quarter of the land area of the globe about thirteen million three hundred and fifty five thousand square miles of territory unlike most of the great empires of the past the british empire is made up of many widely separated countries and territories varying in size from canada with her vast area of over three million six hundred thousand square miles to gibraltar two square miles in extent British lands are found in every continent. British islands dot every ocean. The empire extends from farthest north to farthest south, from farthest east to farthest west, girdling the globe with lands over which floats the Union Jack, proud symbol of power, of justice, and of freedom. Within the empire is found every kind of scenery, from the snow-capped summits of the Rockies and the Himalayas to the sun-scorched plains of Australia, there is every variety of climate, from the hot, humid air of the Guinea coast to the clear atmosphere and biting cold of the polar isles. Every type of plant grows somewhere on British soil, from the lowly moss and lichen of the tundra to the stately teak of Burma. Every kind of useful animal is found somewhere within its borders, from the dog of the Eskimos to the camel of the Arabs. Under the Union Jack live representatives of all the races of the world, from the lowest and most degraded savage to the finest type of the highest civilization. All told, the inhabitants of the British Empire number 450 million, more than a quarter of all the people in the world. The Empire and the Sea The British Empire is largely a maritime empire. For the most part, it was won by hardy British seamen who pushed their way into the uttermost corners of the world and brought country after country under the beneficent sway of Britain. It was held, and still is held, largely by the power of the British Navy, which has long controlled the seaways of the world. By far the greater part of its enormous commerce is carried in British merchant vessels, which link port to port and country to country, enabling the wheat of Canada the wool of Australia, the tea of Ceylon, and the apples of New Zealand to reach the markets of the motherland. Without the free use of the sea, the empire could not live. So it is that, 
although railways and other land communications play a great part they are secondary in importance to the sea communications of the empire the merchant fleet of britain herself is the largest and most efficient in the world while that belonging to the great colonies is far from small these ships are the most important material bond uniting the far-flung dominions of the king emperor to enable both the navy and the merchant fleet to accomplish their tasks britain has secured coaling stations all over the world as a vessel cannot steam much more than three thousand miles without replenishing her bunkers there should be coaling stations at intervals of three thousand miles or so along the great ocean trade routes the empire possesses the most complete system of such stations in the world a british ship is sure of finding a supply of coal at almost any of the principal ports of the british isles canada australia new zealand british africa or india in addition there are facilities for coaling vessels at st helena ascension or the falkland islands in the south atlantic at jamaica or the bermudas in the north atlantic at gibraltar malta and port said in the mediterranean at aden on the gulf of aden at colombo in ceylon at singapore and at labuan in the china sea at hong kong on the chinese coast at chagos seychelles or mauritius in the indian ocean at thursday island and suva in the south pacific nor do these exhaust the list many coaling stations are small and apparently insignificant islands but they play no small part in the life of the empire the most important coaling stations are fortified and garrisoned to protect them from attack at many of them dockyards have been built so that ships may be repaired in time of need the countries of the empire are also kept in close communication by submarine cables there are in the whole world about three hundred thousand miles of submarine cables of these almost a half one hundred and forty thousand miles are british property by this immense and far-reaching cable system the governments of various parts of the empire are in constant touch with one another commercial transactions are greatly facilitated and in time of war valuable information is quickly sent to its proper destination the protection of the cable system is one of the duties of the imperial navy nothing brings home the great extent of the empire more forcibly than to trace the all-british cable route around the world leaving the british isles it crosses the atlantic coming ashore at trinity bay newfoundland from there it is carried overland across newfoundland thence by sea again to sydney cape breton island and from there to halifax which has direct communication with vancouver upon the pacific coast from vancouver island 
a cable runs by way of fanning island fiji and norfolk island to auckland in new zealand and to brisbane in australia the latter city has telegraphic connection with the cities of albany and perth from which a cable traverses the indian ocean by way of cocos colombo madras bombay and aden from aden the route lies through the red sea the mediterranean sea and the atlantic ocean by way of suez port said malta gibraltar and london there are several loops or extensions along the route an important one from cocos island connects mauritius durban cape town st helena ascension and sierra leone nearly all these places and very many others are also equipped with wireless installations which supplement the cables and add materially to the speed and safety with which messages can be sent the commerce of the empire follows certain routes all centering upon the british isles the following are the chief one from the british isles across the atlantic to canada thence by either the canadian national or the canadian pacific across canada and from there across the pacific ocean to hong kong singapore and india or to new zealand the pacific islands and australia two from the british isles across the atlantic to the panama canal and thence to new zealand and australia three from the british isles to the east by way of gibraltar the mediterranean the suez canal the red sea and the indian ocean four from the british isles along the west coast of africa to cape town and thence across the indian ocean to india and to australia and new zealand government the countries of the empire aside from the motherland may be divided into five groups as far as government is concerned one the dominions two the indian empire three the crown colonies four the protectorates five the mandated territories the dominion of canada the commonwealth of australia the dominion of new zealand the union of south africa newfoundland and the irish free state are self-governing dominions under the crown northern ireland is also self-governing but it differs from its sister dominions in that it sends representatives to the imperial parliament in london in the dominions the government is modelled after that of great britain the king being represented by a governor-general or a governor each has a parliament consisting of two houses within its own sphere the parliament of each of the dominions is supreme without interference of any kind from the imperial government the indian empire is a part of the british empire and the king of great britain is also emperor of india in the imperial cabinet there is an official known as the secretary of state for india who is assisted by an advisory council 
while the secretary and his council have control over all matters relating to india they do not attempt unless under unusual circumstances to interfere with the actions of the indian government the king is represented by the governor-general or viceroy who is assisted by a council of state and a legislative assembly the latter almost wholly elective the actual work of government in india is carried on by the governor-general and an appointed executive council the country is divided into fifteen provinces with a governor or an administrator in each assisted by a legislature largely composed of native members in fact the form of government at present in force resembles in many ways that of canada the endeavour is to allow the natives of india the utmost freedom possible and to give them a large share in the conduct of government the relations of the indian government to the various native states differ widely except in matters pertaining to war and to a standing army they are allowed largely to govern themselves the british government being represented in each state by a resident in general crown colonies are those parts of the empire in which owing to an unsuitable climate or to a large native population few europeans make permanent homes a few white men develop and control the resources of the country enabling it to take its proper place in the international trade of the world some of the smaller crown colonies however are purely naval or military posts important for the protection of the trade routes of the empire in every crown colony is a governor representing the king in some cases as in gibraltar and st helena the governor has absolute power in others as in ceylon and the strait settlements he is assisted by a council nominated by the crown in a third group which includes most of the british west indies and malta the laws are made by a legislature wholly or partly elected by the people in every case except in the naval and military colonies the tendency is to give the natives an ever-increasing share of power as they show increasing ability for self-government eventually many of the crown colonies will become self-governing in the protectorates such as somaliland bechuanaland and nyasaland in africa the natives are ruled by their own chiefs under the supervision of british officials protectorates tend as they develop to become crown colonies just as crown colonies such as were formerly the states of the australian commonwealth became self-governing dominions at the conclusion of the great war certain territories captured from the enemy were assigned by the league of nations to great britain france japan and others of the allied powers in this way it has fallen to great britain to be responsible for the government of large territories in africa as well as in asia and in the south seas 
Tanganyika, Cameroon, and Togoland in Africa, and Palestine and Iraq in Asia, are included in these mandated territories, as they are called. For the most part, these new portions of the empire are governed as crown colonies. Further, under the League of Nations, the Commonwealth of Australia has control of New Guinea, the Bismarck Archipelago, and other islands in the South Pacific. The Dominion of New Zealand controls former German Samoa and other islands. The Union of South Africa has the mandate for the government of South West Africa. In all cases of mandated territory, the government must be carried on in strict accordance with certain regulations laid down by the League of Nations. End of section 64 End of Ontario Public School Geography By the Educational Book Company of Toronto